Hi, I'm Heath Terry. I cover the internet sector for Goldman Sachs. Really excited to have with us today Katrina Lake, uh, founder and chief executive officer at Stitch Fix. Katrina, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So for investors watching that, you know, may not be as familiar with Stitch Fix or know you maybe as a as a customer, uh, what's the right way for them to think about what it is that you're building and, and how Stitch Fix is different from other online clothing retail companies? Yeah. Um, you know, what we're really building is like what I believe to be the future of how people are going to buy apparel in, the, in, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, and, you know, as all of us know, all of us have bought clothes at some point, like the experiences of buying apparel today are deeply broken. Like you are looking at a scenario where you are walking into a store, you are flipping through racks and racks of things which are not relevant to you. They're not your size. Um, you know, there's thousands of pairs of jeans on this planet. There's there's a subset of those that are going to be awesome for you. And what's even the probability that you walk into a store and flip through hundreds of jeans and um, find ones that are great for you? Um, that's an obviously broken experience. And e-commerce really isn't better. I think the idea of searching and filtering your way to finding the perfect pair of jeans is, I mean, that's a pipe dream. Like that's a, that's a crazy way to shop for jeans online. And so there has to be a paradigm shift in the way that we think about how do we actually kind of match make between people and products. And so with Stitch Fix, we do exactly that. So um, we, most of our, our kind of, most of our history to date has really been around this notion of fixes where people sign up, they let us know what they're looking for, what they like, what they don't like. Based on that, we use a combination of algorithms and human stylists um, to, for people to be able to try things on at home, send back what they don't like, keep what they like. We have sold $6 billion of clothes, sight unseen that way. And what that means is that we've built this amazing personalization muscle. And so when you're trying things on and you let us know, I love this, but I have something just like it. I like this, it was too big. Whatever the feedback is, that helps us to get to know you. And it also helps us to know the piece of the, the garment. It helps us to get to know people in general. And so that personalization capability has really been, um, you know, kind of what we've created over the last 10 years. And now we're really focused on like, how can we actually make the most of that? And so fixes are great for one modality of shopping. The reality is there's lots of other ways that people want to shop. Um, the, you know, the, the market opportunity for a more personalized way to buy apparel, I really think is all of it. Like every single experience that we have buying apparel will be better served if you were only seeing the things that were relevant to you and personalized to you. So we're still super early on the journey of um, achieving that kind of goal and dream. But I do think that, um, you know, now with the with the billions of dollars of sold, of, of billions of dollars of apparel we've sold through fixes, and now as we're starting to look at direct buy and really innovating on our platform, that we're starting to chip away at kind of what that can look like. Yeah, so what's the profile of a typical Stitch Fix customer? Yeah, it's a great, I mean, you know, first and foremost, I have to say, because it's a personalized model, the premise really is that, you know, we serve a wide range of price point. We do men, we do plus size, we do kids, we do women's, of course, like we do a wide range of aesthetics. Um, but from a psychographic perspective, it's kind of interesting. I think the notion of, and I'll talk about fixes first and then about direct buy, but with fixes, you're entrusting a lot in our process and the stylist. And so, um, it fixes a little bit more of like a sit back and do it for me experience. Um, what's interesting is that more we've done you know, surveys on this and um, something like more than half of the people who live in the United States don't like they don't like shopping. And I think many of us can probably 
empathize with that. Maybe you know, we at least know people who are like that. <laughs> and um, and what's interesting is like you know there's no other uh, there's no other kind of apparel um, commerce play out there that actually caters to that customer. Like the premise of apparel shopping is like, hey, you want to see our new arrivals? Hey, you want to be inspired by this? You want to try all these things on? Like half of the people in this country don't even want to do those things. And so this notion of like sit back and do this for me and help me is really relevant to, you know, more than half of the United States. And that's really what the fix is offering from a psychographic perspective serves. And we can, within that, we can serve all kinds of different profiles and price points and categories. Um, and then what's, I think what's really exciting is really thinking about direct buy and how direct buy can start to add to that. And so, um, you know, the direct buy can really address more people who want to have more say in what they're getting. People who, um, you know, from an occasion perspective, like, you know, if you want something really specific at one point in time, um, fixes may not be the best modality for that, but direct buy can get there. And so, you know, our belief is that personalization really should be able to serve all of the needs, all of the needs out there, all of the different ways that you want to shop. And, you know, we're just starting to get there in that. But I think that, you know, today, that psychographic perspective of like, if you hate shopping, fixes are a great way. But over time, we're starting to show that we actually can address more and more of those use cases and more and more of those psychographics. And so when you think about what you're what you're addressing, is there a sense of the share of your your customer's wallet that you have for for apparel? And um, really curious how direct buy and some of your other initiatives like that are, you know, might be changing that share. Yeah, what's interesting, uh, and we haven't updated data on this in a long time to be clear, so I can't share any specifics, but, you know, for a minority percentage, but a minority, but significant percentage of our clients, like we are the majority of their share of wallet. And that's, you know, that's interesting across a lot of dimensions. It means that we really understand the composition of their closets. Um, and then what's been interesting with direct buy is that we've seen clear incrementality with direct buy. Um, we can see that through kind of our numbers and cohort performance, but we can also see that by a little bit by category penetration. And so um, we've seen things like shoes and handbags perform a lot better in direct buy than they do in fixes. And rationally, that kind of makes sense. Like if you're not shopping actively for a handbag, like you may not actually need one. And if you don't need one, you may not want one. And it's similar with shoes. Like, you know, you're either looking for a pair of shoes or maybe you're not. And so, you know, for those things where the timing really matters and where there's a kind of exact right point in time that you need it, like direct buy is a much better modality to, to serve. And so, um, so, you know, our goal of course, is that we actually should be able to increase share of wallet um, over time with our customers and revenue per client is a good metric to kind of see how we've been able to do that historically. Um, and as we're getting better at personalization, as we're getting better at getting people to come back and getting people to be excited about shopping, you know, not just your fixes, but direct buy, these are all things that really help us to grow that share of wallet. So the, the last year has obviously been incredibly challenging on countless levels. You've had to deal with uh, challenges in your fulfillment centers and remote working and the you know massive change in the demand for, for, for apparel, as well as the adoption of e-commerce. What have you learned in the, the, the period and how, in this, over this period and how is it affecting or will it affect the, the way that you um, strategize and manage Stitch Fix going forward? Uh, we, we could probably talk yeah, about spend this the whole day on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, where to start? Um, I mean, it's been an incredibly challenging year. Um, the silver linings of it really are, I mean, this is, as an entrepreneur, these time periods where 
things are changing. The world is shifting beneath you. Um, consumers are changing. They're totally open to trying things in new ways. Like that's an incredibly exciting time. If I, if you could set aside the, all the other emotional sure. challenges we've had. And so, you know, just from a business and strategy perspective, I think it's really helped us to accelerate some of the exciting things that we are thinking that might've been five years from now, or maybe a couple of years from now, um, and really invest in those things now and to take advantage of kind of the ground shifting beneath us. Um, you know, while right now people are buying less clothes this time of year than they did last time, this time of year last year for very obvious reasons, um, we still, um, we've been growing share in that. We've been growing our business Business. We've been growing share during that time period. And so, um, you know, so I think it feels like, you know, it does feel like the things that we've been working on for the last, you know, 10 years are the right relevant things that are going to help us now and in the future. And so, you know, all of that, I think, is some of the silver lining of, um, of what we've seen. Um, on the flip side, like, I mean, one of the things like working from home actually is interesting. Like our stylists already were working from home. Our engineering team was already largely working from home. And so, um, we were very lucky that we had teams internally that knew how to build cultures in remote environments and that we could learn from and kind of, you know, our organization getting more remote. Um, our fulfillment centers, you know, we've been in a mode of investing in our fulfillment centers for a long time. They've been a very important part of the client experience. And um, this time period has only shown us how, how important they are and how we need to continue to invest in those fulfillment centers. And so, um, you know, that's probably more of a continuation of strategy. Um, and then, you know, around the social justice issues, I think, you know, it's interesting when you think about company culture and the, and the, the time that we all invest in building these great cultures and having people have alignment around what the values of the company are. And, you know, there might be times when you wonder, does this really matter to the enterprise value of a company or not? And I can tell you like what we went through this summer, I was immensely grateful that we had made all of those investments in our culture. And so, you know, certainly the notion of equity is something that's always been really important to Stitch Fix. We have pay equity um, parity. We've, sh we've shared that we have, we've done, we've done, we do a lot of practices around market-based pay making sure that we're equal in that front. Um, and so that was in our DNA already and something that people really understood to be part of our DNA. And, you know, because of what we saw this summer, I think we, it gave us the chance to double down. And so as an example, we launched this Elevate program that really helps to diversify our vendor base. Um, you know, we looked at what are the all the different ways of, all the different forms of power that we have as an organization to create change in the world. Um, the money we spend with our vendors is one of those. And, you know, we saw a stunning lack of diversity in that vendor base and the Elevate program which provides sponsorship and mentorship to um, to underrepresented designers. Um, that was something that came out of that. But I think, you know, ultimately is a great thing and something that our team is super excited about. And ultimately, I think will create change in the world. And so, um, you know, uh, it was undoubtedly the most challenging year of my leadership. But I think at the same time, you know, we, we probably learned more than we ever have. And, you know, we've built more resilience than we ever had. And, you know, the importance of flexibility is another thing. Like, you know, it's nearly like every day and every week has kind of looked different and crazy this year. And so, you know, I think our team has had to really build a lot of muscle around how do we think about being more flexible in, as an organization and reacting to data quickly. And so, um, you know, so in the long run, I think, you know, those are probably all good things, but, um, you know, certainly challenging when you're dealing with them all at once. Sure, no, no question. And I, I, yeah, Ele Elevate is such an amazing initiative. It's um, hopefully something that we'll see a lot of other places or some things like it, a lot of other places. Um, 
you've, we've, we've touched on direct buy a couple of times now, but for, for people who maybe aren't as clear on, on, on stitch on, um, on direct buy itself, what, what is the vision for, for direct buy and how has the offering evolved over the last year or so since you started rolling it out? Yeah. So, I mean, the first 10 years of the company really were, you know, the primary vehicle of growth and, and really still is, is this notion of fixes, which we've already talked a little bit about, where you're not getting to choose the items that arrive at your home and where um, there's no, there's kind of like, you know, little e-commerce UI to it. And so um, while that is a great way to shop, we also know that there's many people who want to, who actually enjoy looking at products, who actually enjoy, you know, kind of seeing a variety of things and um, and who want to have that instantaneous click and buy and have it come to your home experience. And so um, with direct buy, what we did was we really took that same personalization capability that we built in fixes, but oriented it around uh, more of this click and buy experience. And so, um, you know, we are not, you know, we still have the same notion of this is personalized, the selections you are seeing are not the selections that your friends or your neighbors or whoever else are seeing. These are really specific to what you're seeing. And so while we probably at any given time have tens of thousands of things we could be showing you, we're only showing you a small subset, could be 20, 30 of those things that we really believe um, are products that you have a high likelihood of keeping and, and liking. And so, um, so we still use the same personalization. We still use the same notion of curation, but we're allowing you to click and buy. And we're try we've experimented with different formats. And so we've done trending for you, um, which is really kind of looking at more of the newer things that we're getting in our inventory and the ones that are most relevant for you. Um, we are also looking at, we've looked at, um, We've looked at ways to be able to um, complete your look. And so things that you've already bought that you can actually find complementary items to that. And so we've started experimenting with kind of different form factors of what that experience could look like. And, um, and I think this really is one of the most exciting things that, you know, that I've had the privilege of getting to work on because it's one of those initiatives that is both really powerful and um, we can see in the data that it's working. And at the same time, like there's still so much opportunity. Like every time I experience it, I'm like, okay, this is cool, but this would be amazing. And so from a product experience perspective, we still have a lot that we can do to improve that experience. And, um, and so it's this really kind of exciting green shoot, so to speak, of just like something that, you know, we have enough data to know that this is exciting. And at the same time, it's absolutely not fully materialized yet. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we hear a lot, uh, or at least get in, in some of the conversations that we have with investors is is this perception, um, and I know it's not, not correct, but this perception that direct buy um, means uh, you end up looking like just a big shopping mall that sells everything with, within within apparel. What what role does all of your um, investments in algorithms and data science and machine learning play within within that direct buy model? Yeah, it's, I mean, and I think the onus is on us to be able to provide better proof points for this because the reality is it's wildly different. It's radically different. Like in an e-commerce store, in an e-commerce setting, like first of all, you are seeing all of the inventory. You are seeing millions, hundreds of thousands of things, most of most of which are completely irrelevant to you. And the notion of like, we're only going to show you 20 or 30 things and expect to drive conversion off of that is like a pretty crazy thing. Like if you went to a department store and you said, hey, like your homepage can only show 20 items per person. Like, I mean, these these companies would have no business. And so like, you know, the, the, the personalization actually forces you to really place bets appropriately. And that's definitely part of that curation and personalization. Um, the 
other place and we haven't shared specifics on it, but when you look at our return rates, like we know it works. Like we are showing you things that are only relevant for you. They're not relevant for others or relevant for you. And that drives conversion. It drives um, you know, product acceptance, it drives people loving it, it drives them to not return it. Um, and so, you know, this paradigm of like being able to see things that, um, that really are right for you and only you, I think is something that you don't see other players able to do and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we've sold six billion dollars of clothes that sight unseen and so like every single garment like people are sharing with us feedback we know who it works for we know with statistical significance that this garment is more likely to work with these cohorts of people than these other ones and um, being able to have that rich data allows us to have these really accurate recommendations um, you know, I do think one of the product improvements that we can make is to be able to have the end user experience to get more gutturally that way. I think, you know, today people, um, you know, I think there's ways that we can actually demonstrate why it's for you or why we have that confidence that I think we'll be able to show that a little bit more viscerally to people. But, you know, behind the scenes, like we know every single recommendation for each person and garment is, is unique to that combination. And so, um, so that's a very, very different paradigm than the way that you're experiencing e-commerce and other places. Yeah. So beyond back direct buy, what enhancements are you making to the fix, fix offering to drive greater personalization and improve uh, uh, client retention, um, wallet share, uh, average spend per customer, the, the, the KPIs that matter to you? Yeah, and I mean, you know, those are exactly the KPIs that we're tracking on a, you know, on a daily, weekly basis. Um, we're constantly running A-B tests. We have shared historically that our index success rate, so the probability that clients are going to keep items that has gone up steadily, dramatically over time. And all of those things are the kind of the aggregation of all of the things that we're doing every day to make our merchandise more relevant, to make our recommendation engines more relevant. And so, you know, kind of enhancing that fixed experience is the bread and butter of the of the value majority of work that happens at Stitch Fix. Um, something specific that we've been experimenting with that has been really fun is Fix Preview. And so um, this notion of like, you know, there are times when clients might be intrigued by the idea of Stitch Fix, but at the same time, maybe a little bit skeptical of like, what are, what's actually going to come for me? Does this personalization actually work? Like, how is how are they going to send me jeans that are really going to fit? Like, you know, I think people have a lot of um, skepticism um, that like that a Stitch Fix model can actually work for them when we're only sending them five items and they don't have the choice in that. And so what we've realized is that um, being able to give people um, a preview, I think, builds confidence. It also helps us to understand people better during that experience. And so um, this fixed preview is something that we actually rolled out in the UK originally um, as, a, as a test bed there. Um, and it was it was very successful there. And so now we're bringing that over here to the US. And, um, and that's been a very exciting evolution of our service that I think, you know, it, it improves the experience that people are having in fixes, but it also actually it helps with conversion and helps people who, you know, might've been on the fence about Stitch Fix to be able to um, feel like they have more control over that experience. Mm -hmm. So as you continue to enhance the, the Fix offering and expand direct buy, what, what kind of investments are you making into the, the inventory and, and even logistics strategy to support greater demand? Yeah, I mean the you know the logistics element is definitely an area we've um, I mean candidly focused on a lot in the last ten years being pure e-commerce like that's an area we've had to focus on um, and you know I think as we've seen more and more um, 
more and more dollars shift to e-commerce in general, we know that environment is getting more competitive. And so all the technology that we're using in those warehouses becomes more and more valuable. And so that will continue, that will certainly continue. Um, you know, the inventory model side, I think is really interesting. I think, um, you know, our focus right now is we think about what direct buy can do is we think about, you know, decoupling personalization from fixes and being able to address many more types of clients out there. Um, you know, selection and diversity of selection is super important. And so, you know, I think there's an opportunity for inventory models and be more creative in the way that we think about working with our vendors that can actually enhance our selection that can really um, provide a better experience for our clients and so um, you know we're still super early in, in that thinking and that experimentation but I think it's it's a really you know exciting kind of area to be thinking about and um, certainly has really powerful um, kind of balance sheet implications over time of like if there are ways we can increase our selection without actually using our cash to do it obviously that generates better outcomes for clients you know can generate more revenue without actually tying up cash in the balance sheet and so um, for all of those reasons I think it's a really exciting space to be to be thinking about and you know the team is definitely putting a lot of thought there. Yeah, uh, you know, logistics was obviously a huge challenge for a lot of e-commerce um, companies. Uh, I mean, and, and has been during this entire entire pandemic, but especially during the the fourth quarter. Not asking anything specific about the quarter, of course, but just how you think about sort of the bottlenecks that are developing around uh, around logistics. Yeah, I mean, we've always been really fortunate that, like, in our model, we have a we have a lot of predictability. And so, you know, you talk about kind of the holiday quarter, which is very challenging for, um, you know, for a lot of, a lot of companies where a lot of their volume materializes in the fourth quarter, you know, we are still susceptible to the same labor pressure, to the same shipping pressure that all of these other companies are. Um, but the thing is we actually like we can, we have more control over our volume as our volume is more steady across the year. And so our Q, our kind of Q4, it's actually our Q2, but, you know, during that holiday time period, it's not, you know, our, our model is, you know, not really giftable. I mean, it, you can do a gift card, but it's not something where you're buying it urgently in Q4 as a gift for somebody. Um, and it's a time period where people are not spending as much money on themselves. And so, you know, historically it's been a quarter where we've sat out, you know, from a marketing perspective, a fair amount, and that, you know, we've, we don't have that same kind of Black Friday rush that I think a lot of other um, companies have, which is a struggle for them. And, um, but, you know, something that we, we don't totally have. Um, and so, you know, we don't have a lot of the specific things, but like what, um, but, you know, I think the, from a bigger picture perspective, like logistics is a super, super important part of our, um, of our client experience. And, um, we've made a lot of investments, both in technology and in people. Um, and, you know, we're really grateful that we made those investments. It was, we went through this kind of challenging time from, um, you know, from a labor perspective over the last year. Um, but, you know, I think we definitely are continuing to look at ways of like, how can we continue to invest in our warehouses? How can we make sure that, um, you know, that we have, um, that we, that we're competitive on a people front and, um, you know, those certainly um, continue to be priorities for us. Yeah, no, un un understandable. When when we look at the growth in e-commerce as a as a whole, you know, and the the incredible acceleration that we've that we've seen, as well as the ongoing innovation that you've that you've talked about, how are you thinking about long-term growth targets for for Stitch Fix? You've you've been willing to kind of put those out there in the past. How have those evolved? Yeah, I mean, the, we feel super bullish about the long-term revenue opportunity for us. Um, you know, this is 
that while this has been a challenging time with the apparel market shrinking and, you know, a lot of the larger players in the apparel market were, were let's like be clear, we're struggling pre-pandemic. I think there was a bigger question around mall and store footprints and are these rational and, um, and those questions, which were kind of, you know, questions before the pandemic, I think became emergency situations during the pandemic. And so, you know, what we're seeing right now is a massive, massive amount of share shift. And so, you know, even though people are buying less clothes on average, um, our, our business is growing. We are growing that Walt, that kind of market share opportunity. And so, um, you know, we feel, I think, really, really bullish about the opportunity to continue to grow that share. Like is apparel going to bounce back next month is going to bounce back six months from now or a year from now. I think that part is really hard to know. And, you know, we're, we have great data so that we can really see how customer behavior is changing. Um, but at the same time, I think we, we, we know as much or as little as anybody else out there around like how the world is going to be evolved six months from now. Um, but I think that, you know, as we think about it from more of a five year or 10 year view, um, this apparel was a $400 billion market opportunity. Like this is a enormous market opportunity that was enormously fragmented where many, many, many of the large players that, um, that kind of made up that $400 billion opportunity pre pandemic are in a very different financial spot or in a very different growth spot post-pandemic. And, um, and while that's sad to watch, it's a huge opportunity for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one of the biggest areas that you've invested in has been data science, AI, machine learning technologies that, you know, based on the benefits that we've seen to revenue per client, normalizing for the, the, the pandemic, as well as the gross margins from, from optimization, have had real tangible operating value for, for Stitch Fix. Is there a path where monetizing that technology goes beyond your own apparel business? It's a good question. I mean, right now, honestly, the I think the biggest opportunity for us is actually to leverage that capability to improve our own business and grow our own business. I think, you know, when we talk about the $400 billion market opportunity, um, you know, for us, we've had, a, you know, we've, we've, had a history of being very efficient on a capital front. We have done a lot of self-funding our own growth. And so, um, you know, to me, I think that while I, I think there's probably an opportunity to monetize some of the key ability to me, the bigger opportunity really is in capturing greater share. Um, you know, we're in, I think, especially now compared to pre-pandemic, we are just in this moment where I think there is going to be a lot of share opportunity that comes available in the next, you know, three to five years. And um, so our, our focus is really grow is really, is really focused there. Yeah. You've all become, we've all become a, a little bit more U.S. focused during the, the pandemic, but how, how would you characterize the state of your business in the U.K.? And um, where's your appetite for more geographic expansion? Yeah, I mean, the UK market, it's, I mean, it's interesting. We entered the UK market a year and a half ago. We, I mean, we knew we were <laughs> entering at a time of, um, you know, Brexit was a, you know, is this going to happen? Is it not? Like we were entering at a time of uncertainty and then you layer on the pandemic with all of that. And um, it's, I'm glad we launched when we did because I'm not sure that we would have been able to, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know, if, like with all of the other uncertainty involved that we would have launched a market if we hadn't done it then. And I'm super grateful that we did then because it's really given us this kind of time to launch and learn. And, um, you know, a year and a half later now we're super, we're pleased with the market. We're really optimistic about the market. Um, you know, we've, 
in our launching and learning, we were able to learn a lot more about the client and what the client wants. And, um, you know, we've been, we've been really pleased with what we've been able to do there. Um, and so it really, I think that momentum that we've seen there, while it's still super early, while there's still a lot going on in the UK with COVID and Brexit, and, um, you know, there's definitely still some challenges there, but, um, but in these early innings, we feel really excited about the momentum. And we really think that momentum that like validates the viability and the possibility of taking this model of personalization to other geographies. Um, so, you know, we don't have anything specific to share, but I think, you know, we're really excited about the progress we're seeing there. And it definitely gives us, um, you know, gives us optimism as we think about other markets. Yeah. So to talk about profitability a little bit, you've grown fivefold over the last four years and add, added nearly a billion dollars in sales over that over that period. Um, but we've actually seen profitability decline um, during during that as you've invested in new markets and verticals and customer acquisition. Is there a point where you believe it's important to start showing more leverage in the in the model? Yeah, I mean, in the last, in this time period, we went from being just a women's business to being expansive into plus, into having men's, into having kids. Kids has, we shared kids has been fantastic during the pandemic. Um, the UK, to your point, and, you know, this is, as we, I think we will always, we've done it all in a healthy way. We did it all in a way that we self-funded and we did it all in a way that um, was really thoughtful about the economics of our businesses. And we will, of course, always be that way. I think that is part of our DNA. I think, you know, we we've we are, you we're always looking at A/B tests. We're always looking at ROI, and um, and those and that's absolutely in our DNA. Um, but I think at the same time, the, the opportunity now is actually quite different than it was even five years ago. Frankly, I think you know the opportunity now is that there is an enormous amount of share shift that is happening beneath our feet, and how can we make sure that um, our business is actually set up to really capitalize on all that growth and all of that opportunity? And so, um, you know, I would say that we you know we we will continue to be responsible, and we will continue to be thoughtful about kind of what types of returns we're getting and um, and really thinking about kind of the profitability of, of our businesses. But I think at the same time to really step back and say like, what is the long-term opportunity and what's really the right thing for our shareholders and um, and to maximize the value of this personalization capability that we have. Um, and growth really is, I think, at the top of the list right now. Yeah, you, you touched on... Um on an earnings call recently, you touched on the uh, the growth that you've seen in the athleisure wear category, and and obviously that's that's demand that um, is particularly understandable in the environment that we're in. But but curious how you think about that category as an opportunity for for Stitch Fix longer term. I mean, it's interesting. Like this pandemic is really, and we were doing a little bit of chit chat about this before mm -hmm. we um came online around like how has the world changed and what parts of those are permanent and um and you know so my point of view is that a lot of these things are the pandemic really accelerated a lot of change that was already happening and um e-commerce is absolutely one of those i mean uh, this category apparel 80 percent of apparel was still sold in stores before the pandemic like that's almost a stun like a, a stunningly high number um and you know i think that that number is going to be dramatically different post pandemic it's going to look very different and i think that's probably permanent. Um, you know, some of this athleisure trend that we were seeing, we were already seeing, um, you know, what, what we were calling a casualization of the workplace. Like, you know, maybe 10 years ago, Heath, it would have been inappropriate for you to be here without a tie. And like, you know, now <laughs> I think people- Maybe are really, two years ago. <laughs> maybe two years ago. I don't know. Like these things are changing. And this 
the notion of the workplace becoming more casual was something that we already had seen. Like we already were seeing certain categories decline. We were already seeing um, requests as an example of like, you know, people wear jeans to my office now and like, that's weird. Can you send me some work appropriate jeans? Like that was a trend we were already seeing. And so, you know, I do think this pandemic actually just accelerated what that like more casual, you know, you can wear to work what you wear in your normal life um, type of behavior. So, um, so I do think like, I think that's a permanent opportunity, honestly. And I do think, you know, is it going to be sweatpants? Maybe not. But I think the notion of like, I want to be the same person like at work that I am on the weekend. And that probably means wearing the same clothes. Like, I, I think that probably is a trend that's here to stay. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, there are obviously a lot of companies selling apparel online, offline, you know, different models around rental or, or, or secondhand. How do you think about the competitive landscape and who really matters to Stitch Fix? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's, I mean, it's a little bit of like a two-sided question where like from a share of wallet perspective, like is in terms of who are we competing with dollar for dollar, like we actually are competing with legacy players. Like it is a lot of the legacy dollars that might've been going into department stores that is flowing to our channel. And so, um, you know, from just like a, you know, where is the money going to from that? That's what it looks like from like a, you know, who do we look at, look at as a competitive set? Like, how do we see the industry evolving? Um, yeah, I mean, we definitely look at all the categories that you talked about. I do think this notion of a more circular economy, like I do think, you know, one of the trends that we saw before the pandemic that I think is really going to be real is this notion of, um, you know, we are all living now with our things. And like, yeah. if you could see my floor, I have a lot of kids stuff on my floor, but, um, you know, we are all kind of intimately living with our things and realizing that there are some things that have a lot of value to us and other things that we have that we don't. And so I do think this more thoughtful consumer notion um, will be something that is um, a permanent trend and Stitch Fix is really well position for that like if you're gonna if you're not gonna buy jeans because they're 80 percent off but you're only gonna buy one pair of jeans that are perfect for you for this year like you know that's an even harder problem to solve and one that such fix is much better served to solve than um, an e-commerce player with endless selection um, but i think that the more circular economy ideas of like how can this garment which i love but no longer has use to me have use for somebody else like i think that's really interesting and something where personalization um, is potentially even more powerful like the idea of you know weeding through the new clothes market is hard enough like imagine the you know multiple dimensions of the used clothes market and trying to figure out what jeans are right for you like that seems like an even more impossible problem and so to be clear we have no specific plans to share on this <laughs> but um i do think the circular economy is really really interesting and definitely i think a trend that's going to be here to stay um and um and you know i think mostly we we really look to places where like where are they good at personalizing and i couldn't have imagined saying this even you know five years ago but you know places like pinterest and instagram like you know they personalize apparel pretty well and you know, obviously they're starting to add more commerce elements to their models, but, um, you know, I do think the, the future of apparel is personalization. And so really, you know, as I'm looking at kind of what the competitive set is, I'm really looking at, okay, who, who's good at delivering that? Yeah, with, with the model that you have and the, the, the vision that you've got for the, uh, the strategy that you've got for the company, um, can you become the, the dominant online apparel player the way that a, a Wayfair maybe has in, in Home Goods or the way that you know, Chewy has in, in, in Pet? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Apparel historically has been super, super fragmented. Like it's, um, and, and, you know, maybe these other categories have too. Like, I mean, it's interesting. Like if you, if I think back to even my pre-stitch fix buying patterns, it would be like, you know, you buy one thing for 
from J Crew, you buy a couple things from Nordstrom or, you know, whatever the thing is. And like, you know, there was no one player that was really dominant from even an individual market share of wallet perspective. Um, and I think those things are trying starting to change. And I think you are seeing more category leadership emerge as um, as these capabilities become more important. And, you know, we have a 10 year head start on the capability of personalization and apparel. And I deeply believe that personalization is more important than a lot of these other attributes that people are really focused on and that I really believe that the person that's going to win in apparel is going to be the person that is going to be able to best predict what are you going to love. And so, you know, that's what we're really focused on. We really believe that we are best in the world at that. We have 10 years of doing this under our belt. This is all that we do. Um, and, you know, we're really excited about the opportunity that brings for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. So just to, to, to maybe wrap up, you were on a podcast recently where you said that you weren't even 10% done with your with your vision. What are the main areas that, that, that Stitch Fix is exploring? What does the other 90% of that of that vision look like? Oh, I mean, I mean, even in apparel, like there's just so much opportunity for us to grow, for us to be better. And, um, you know, direct buy definitely is a big part of this. Like, I really think that like, like the market opportunity for a more personalized way of buying apparel, like it really is all of it. It's like, if you could imagine like going to your favorite designer's website and like sh seeing the four things that you personally would love the most at the top of that website. Like if you could walk into a store and like, it's not a sea of racks, but it's just like the 20 things that like you are going to love. Like these are all like, I'm describing amazing experiences that would, that are step change better than what people are experiencing today. And I do think that is the power of the capability that we're building. And so, um, you know, I think our work feels very, very unfinished. Like we are very pleased that we've been able to deliver billions of dollars of revenue. But I think at the same time, um, you know, there's still massive, massive inefficiency in the way that people are on average buying clothes out there. And there's still so much um, opportunity, I think, to be able to take the application of personalization that we've developed and to be able to make many more client journeys better and to make many more purchase experiences better and, and ultimately better match make between people and products. And, you know, to come back to this notion of like a more thoughtful consumer and buying fewer things, like if, you know, I think the notion of like, just buy, buy fewer things and things that you really love. Like if that's kind of a mantra that people are going to be able to live by, like that capability of like, find the things you love is actually pretty challenging in this world of a sea of, of stuff. And yeah. so, um, you know, so I think that what we've, what we've built is powerful. What we're building is, you know, has a lot of, a lot of possibility. And, um, and I really think we're just, you know, we're just in the early innings of what that can look like. Yeah, well, I, I think we're all excited to see what, what, where that's going and what the other 90% looks like. But uh, Katrina, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us and definitely look forward to being able to do this again in person next time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. Thanks.